This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary, even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. On our show tonight, sequel to Deja Vu, our hosts celebrate the time-honored tradition of movie sequels including the good, the bad, and the very ugly. From diabolical killers who won't stay in the grave, to science fiction epics whose stories cannot be contained, to a single chapter, and so much more. Join us for the tales you love, and some that you won't believe got made in the first place. Thermal image vision, optic prism body armor, laser guided smart weapons, all terrain mobility, hazardous atmosphere compensators, and this Thanksgiving, he's in town with a few days to kill. Predator 2, rated R. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration Show, sequel to Deja Vu. We have another part two in store for you today, uh, the 1990 directed by Stephen Hopkins, Predator 2. Uh, some might argue, and I think my, even my, my uh, guest co-host will probably argue along with me that is uh, probably is least equal to or superior to the first one. But uh, my co-host this evening is special effects extraordinaire Derek Worley. How are we doing? Doing all right. How are you? Pretty good. It's been a while since we've seen each other. It's been a few months since the Cruel Summer shoot. Yes. Yeah. It, it has been a minute. Far too long. Far too long. Yeah. I feel like I've just now recovered. <laughs> I'm like, you know, they always say, you know, Florida, the sunshine state. What? When? I didn't see the sunshine for days. No. Oh, my gosh. The weather was... Uh... I, I was in Sarasota, what, a couple days before the shoot, and it was sunny every single day, and then I feel like as soon as I got in Tallahassee, it was just like rain in an overcast for a week and a half. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it works well for, for a horror movie, you know? I mean, it, it, oh, it looks like Gotham City outside. What the hell? Yes, it, it definitely set the mood, no doubt about it. But while we, while we were on set, for those of you at home... Derek and I stayed up late a couple of nights talking about our love of horror movies, and I kind of threw out the idea of this show in particular we're on right now, which we're only going to be, this is uh, the third episode, but sequel to Deja Vu, where we like to celebrate everything uh, sequel-wise, the, the good ones and then unfortunately some of the bad ones. And uh, we got it in our heads that we were going to do a couple of different movies, but we had settled on Predator 2, and I wasn't sure actually at the time when you first brought it up if it was like a pro or con 
on uh, <laughs> Predator 2. I'm like, well, this will be interesting because I'm of the opinion that Predator 2 is every bit as good as the first one. For sure, for sure. I, I And you know what? I agree with your statement there in the opening that uh, I, I actually, and I, I've fought so many people on this, but yes, uh, I think Predator 2 is actually the best in the franchise, personally. And uh, we'll definitely get more into that as we, you know, kind of get it up and rolling. But it, it is definitely my favorite of the four films. Yeah, it's my favorite after the first one. I'm still mm-hmm. pro-Predator 1 as being the first one, but uh, as being the best of the, of the Predator films. But it's neck and neck. They're only about a half a, half a star indifference rating. You know, they're, mm-hmm. And it's not because Arnold Schwarzenegger, everybody always makes that comment, well, the second one doesn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, it doesn't need him. It doesn't need no, him. It opens up no. the story actually quite better for the Predator you know, angle of things than to just not have him in there because it's not the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Although I mean, wouldn't have objected to it, but no, uh, I I definitely wanted to have been against having him in there. And you know, I think I think that is a lot of people's big problem with it. You know, as I kind of talk to people in in different settings and and Predators brought up, and and I'm always like, you know, Predator Two is my favorite. They're like, yeah, but that didn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was like, okay, but like. If that's the only thing you're focusing on, like, obviously you're not going to enjoy the movie. Like, you can't hold that against it. You know, he probably had other things going on at the time. I think around that time they were probably gearing up for, uh, you know, Terminator 2 and all that other stuff. So it's like, you know, I think Danny Glover's incredible in the film, personally. Yeah, I think he does good. He comes hot off of a a couple of Lethal Weapon films, so he was still, you know, considered, you know, viable for the action genre and you know and which is this movie is half action half sci-fi maybe a dash of horror absolutely but you know it's uh you know the it's, it's like the alien franchise is not just synonymous with sigourney weaver either you know it probably should be <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but it's not you know i don't think when i think of a predator movie i think of the predators i don't think of arnold schwarzenegger he's it's kind of secondary but but anyways you know, uh, from what I did read a little bit and a little bit of trivia before we get into dissecting the film is that the Dutch, you know, they give the backstory at one point, the Keys character does, uh, Gary, played by Gary Busey, wonderfully played by Gary Busey. I don't care who the hell you are, Gary Busey's entertaining. Oh, absolutely. But, <clears throat> but originally, the Keys character was meant to be Dutch, and he was supposed to be like a quote-unquote anti-hero, and... I, I I knew a little bit of trivia about this movie, but I never knew that that's how it was supposed to play out, which I found to be interesting that they would have made him almost a villain slash anti-hero. I think that would have been a really interesting take, especially like with the way the first one ended, because I know I actually. OK, so in the last week, I think I've watched Predator 2 three times. So it's like just kind of in preparation for this, just kind of paying attention to the little things and, you know, reading up about stuff and um. I thought it was interesting, you know, after the first one, you know, Predator 2 obviously takes takes place 10 years after the first movie. And they talk about how nine months after the events of Predator 1, Dutch died after the OWLF, uh, you know, talked to him about what happened down in Venezuela and all that stuff. And um, I, I thought that was like kind of it kind of sucks because I feel like that was a little bit of a cop out to just kind of like, oh, no, he like died nine months later. It would have been cool to see him return and kind of be a bad guy in this you know seeking revenge against you know the the alien race and all that stuff it would have been interesting it probably would have gone a little bit more sci-fi at that point 
But um, I don't. I mean, I don't hate having Gary Busey there. Like you said, he's super entertaining. So I, I always enjoyed that character. He's kind of like a, like the mad scientist. You know, comes like, oh, you don't know what you're dealing with. This is far beyond anything you can even understand. And it's, right, it's really, really cool seeing him in that role. And I had also read at one point that uh, I guess Steven Seagal was uh, considered for the um, um, for Danny Glover's character uh, for Mike Harrigan. Huh. Well, like I said, it was kind of would have been kind of appropriate. Maybe at the time he was wanting to do something with the Jamaican subplot in it because at the uh, that was within the same year, same time construct that he did Mark for Death. Unfortunately, yeah. I used to watch a lot of Steven Seagal movies back in the day. Oh, and I sure, remember that, yeah. you know, I think we all did grow up. But, you know, uh, yeah, Steven Seagal, though, as Danny Glover's character, would have been a totally different kind of movie then. Oh, absolutely. And then I'm like sitting here thinking, watching Steven Seagal and Arnold Schwarzenegger together on screen, playing those parts would, I mean, how incredibly different that movie would have been. I mean absolutely crazy yeah when you think of what could have been it just one you know signature on the dotted line would have been a little bit different absolutely and i i think about that with a lot of different movies when you hear about like alternative casting and who was supposed to play this character who was supposed to play that character and i'm like holy cow that would have been like very different from what we got <laughs> yeah i mean think about it uh, danny glover gary Busey versus a steven seagal arnold schwarzenegger movie I, I, that'd be one one instance where I'd be like, okay, it's go, all right to go back and uh, time travel and change shit because I want to see that movie. It yeah. sounds like it would it would as my a friend of mine would say, it's it sounds like with that kind of casting, it would have been, as they say, a proverbial turd in a bucket. But I, I still would have like loved to seen it because I can't imagine what Steven Seagal and Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting for screen time would have been like. Oh man. <laughs> pure gold i mean absolutely especially in that climax in the in the uh slaughterhouse with some of their interactions and stuff like that i mean oh my god that would have been absolutely i mean entertaining on every level possible i uh definitely want to time travel and see an alternative timeline with that yeah yeah i'm down for that but we're getting, I got way ahead of ourselves. We, it's obviously we're both geeking out about this movie, but oh. I usually like to do uh, the quick IMDb synopsis. I got way ahead of myself, but the IMDb synopsis is very simple, very, you know, very on the nose, which is, it is as follows. The Predator returns to Earth this time to stake a claim on the war-torn streets of a dystopian Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Very simple, very, like I said, very on the nose. It's very breaking it down very simply. Most of the time I feel like they're way off. But uh, this movie also does boast not only the return of the Predator, but the same actor in the Predator suit, Kevin Peter Hall, who also played uh, Harry and Harry and the Hendersons. So, you know, a little bit of cinematic royalty right there. He died very young, unfortunately, uh, I think not too long after this movie came out. Uh, yeah, he died in 1991, a year after the movie's release. Yeah, yeah. And I remember actually seeing him on an episode of Night Court, I believe it was. And then, like, the next day, they announced that he had passed away. I'm like, son of a bitch. Like, that's the Predator. Predator yeah. can't die. No. But... He's so, and he was so, such a good actor in, in in the suit, you know. I mean, between Predator, I mean, again, not trying to jump too far ahead here, but it's like, between Predator 2, Predator, Harry and the Hendersons, and uh, the movie Without Warning, he brought so much character 
to the different, you know, creatures that he played. And I mean, he was like Doug Jones before Doug Jones, in my opinion. I mean, he was, he was an incredible uh, creature suit actor. He brought a lot of life to these characters. Yeah. And let's talk about like the movie itself, how it begins. I love the opening shot, the panoramic view, you know, helicopter shot flying overhead, lulling you into that little bit of false sense of, uh, not sense of security, but uh, a sense of like, you know, familiarity. You think, oh, we're back in the jungle again. And as it pans up, you realize you're in LA and it's just the smog ridden, you know, uh, cinemascape lot, you know, that, that line of just bugged out skyscrapers and then we're right off into predator point of view and instant firefight and i love how the humor of it this movie does have a kind of wry sense of humor when the uh the 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 lady reporter is commenting on everything and when the bullets like get anywhere close to them she's like fuck this get me out of here i'm done (laughs) yes I just love the fact that, and it's just the little wry sense of humor type things like that that I love. And I must also note that this is supposed to be, this is made in 1990, but it's supposed to be semi-dystopian because it's supposed to be 1997. That way it's in the kind of immediate future and they don't have to have any high-tech kind of shit. Let's face it, it was a cheap way to like, how do we turn L.A. into a futuristic L.A. that doesn't go like the route of like... uh, demolition man and we have to like make everything look all pristine right and and it kind of it's that you know not so near future early dystopia because it's like you know it was early 90s things were you know kind of crazy at that time point in time and i think it was just like an early like the whole city's kind of gone to gang warfare and you know everything's just like on fire and you know everyone's fighting and it's just like it, it it's a different time but also like it, it, it still seems relatively near in the future and that that's kind of just like scary in itself, you know, and just the way they do that with the news reporters right there. And then you have the, uh, the Tony Pope character. Uh, <laughs> I love Tony Pope. like that Jerry Springer kind of newscasters down there. Is like, you know, where's the mayor? You know, he's out vacationing and, you know, our, our men are under fire. And it's like, it, it almost feels kind of like you're watching like, an episode of, I mean, I don't want to say like NCIS or something like kind of like actual cop show and the way they filmed those, it feels like they're real news reports and stuff. Right. Right. It, it, it it really, they mesh the like, kind of like the action and and crime side of the movie with all the sci-fi and stuff. I mean, really, really well, just like the first movie is kind of like an action war movie and then just boom out of left field, there's alien, you know, it's, uh, it, it kind of, it gives the movie like, you know, this whole other, you know, side of it. And it kind of gives you more to pay attention to and a lot more to watch. And it makes it, I guess, I want to say like more relatable, but I mean, just the way, the way they shot that and it was very entertaining. And that character, I mean, through the whole thing, I mean, you're just like <laughs> waiting on him to get punched because he's awful. But it's like at the same time, I can't help but laugh at him because he's so outright right. ridiculous it's well that's morton downey jr for you right there probably yeah. fucking ridiculous you know oh my god he plays that character so well and i was watching the behind the scenes of the movie actually earlier today and he was like so excited about playing such a ridiculous character and i'm just like man it shows you were excited for that because i mean he <laughs> sells it so well I always remember him from that and when he made an appearance on the WWE back in the day and got his ass handed to him by Roddy Piper. 
So oh that's gosh, I didn't know about that. I need to look this up. Yeah, it was like a shoot interview kind of thing. They're in the ring, and Morton Downey Jr. keeps blowing cigarette smoke in Roddy Piper's face, and Roddy Piper keeps asking him to stop. Mm-hmm. And finally, Piper just uh, asks him to stop with his fists afterwards. Oh you know, <laughs> it's great. I don't know if you can find the clip anywhere. I'm sure if you type in Mort, uh, Morton Downey Jr. Roddy Piper, you'd finally you'd find it. It was right around the same time. But yeah. I digress. Oh, I digress. Totally going to check that out for sure. <laughs> but then we get, we enter Danny Glover uh, from, you know, uh, Color Purple. Uh, mm. We got the Lethal Weapon franchise, amongst many others. And he is Lieutenant Mike Harrigan. And all I can say is, Danny, who chose that damn orange shirt that you had on? Well, who thought that that bright orange shirt was a good idea? Oh, that, that, that's one thing I have a problem with this movie. It's one of the few tractors I have from it. But it was 1990, and fashion it was not as it wasn't as keen. We were coming off the the, the cocaine fueled 80s, and I think there were still some left residuals, some nose boogers left over, and and somebody decided that pastel shirts was a good idea. Oh, I, I, I don't know, but like that—that's the first real like offbeat note I have is that damn orange shirt. Like, What's so weird about this movie? Just to add to that, because that was something I was really paying attention to at my most recent viewing, is that like usually in your movie, like your hero characters—I mean, they have like a sense of style sometimes and stuff. And even like in the Lethal Weapons movie movies, it seems like you know your your hero character—it just your your heroes always have like a sense of style to them. And in this, like. That that shirt that he's wearing, and it's just like the suits that he wears, and the clothes that they're it's like all really unflattering, and just like he's like at one point wearing uh when he's in with the uh, the police chief uh, after his friends killed, and you know he's just like you know oh, I'm, I'm gonna go after the guy who did that, and I'm like looking at the stuff he's wearing, I'm like my God, you're like you don't even look cool, like why mm-hmm. am I cheering you on? Like you just you're 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 dressed like a dad. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> it's just like yeah. he, he, your hero characters in this, they don't, they don't look badass at all. They're just like normal people. And it's just, it was such a strange thing to see, um, to see in that, you know, but I mean, but he's doing such like badass things. Cause in that opening when he's, uh, you know, loading up the gun and he like drives the car backwards and knocks the, um, the door off, and then he's like, <laughs> yeah. Driving and they and then and they make it bull, like, bulletproof by hanging vests, you know, flak jacket vests all yeah. over it. Just like hell, yeah, dude, go, but like lose that shirt, please. Oh my gosh, the sweat stains. Ugh. <laughs> it, it's like what? You know, I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder if it maybe that was semi deliberate. You know, was to show those pastel shirts to show how hot it was because the predator always struck when it was hot. And it was, you know, the, the, and the, 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 you know, everything was, you know, with the uh, conditions were all always off kilter whenever the predator was around. So maybe they did that to show the sweat stains to, to keep reminding you how hot it was. Cause everybody looked like it was either 110 degrees while they were filming this, or somebody was likely there with a can of a mist spraying them down between every shot because everybody looks so sticky and so <laughs> wet. Sure. It did not yeah. look like a comfortable shoot. No, it, it doesn't. And, and you're totally, and that was something I was actually going to bring up is like every single scene anybody is in, they look like just, I mean, dripping wet with sweat. I mean, every scene, their clothes are soaked and like their faces, it's all beady and stuff. And, and it, it was actually shot in LA. So I'm, I mean, I'm sure it was warm, 
But what's crazy is, is I know initially it was supposed to be shot in New York, and I'll, I'll get to that a little bit later on, but it was winter in New York and they weren't able to film. So this was in LA whenever it was, you know, winter in New York. So it couldn't have been like hot, hot. So I'm just like, man, they paid someone to walk around and be like, oh, sorry, you don't look sweaty enough. Let me spritz you up here real quick. <laughs> and it's just like, it's like when you watch the movie Legend and there's like glitter everywhere. In this movie, it's just like everybody is dripping wet with sweat. And it's just like, oh, God, it makes me feel like I need to shower. Yes, I feel yeah. like I need to shower every time I'm done watching this movie. Oh, in every scene in the police station, like, it just looks hot and muggy. Like, just the air is so, like, still in there. And it's just like, oh, God, I can't breathe. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But uh, you know, we get yeah, and you mentioned the the opening scene. You know, we kind of do this in a semi literal, uh, you know, linear fashion, but we don't have to. But we're going back to that, uh, the scene when he when he flips the car sideways, mm-hmm. using it as a shield to get everybody. We get you know, um, Maria Conchita Alonso as Leona, mm-hmm. Ruben Blades as Danny. Some great backup, uh, you know, supporting actors. You know, as part of Danny Glover's team, it's kind of like the who's who of the late '80s, early '90s, like sidekick action heroes. Exactly. You know, and everybody, everybody that pops up in this movie is somebody left over, not not necessarily left over, but somebody that you recognize from another film of that era. You know. You know, Robert Davi plays the the captain. You got Ruben Blades. You got, I mean, just everybody. This seems to be an extra or somebody that they got from Die Hard or Lethal Weapon, which is just fine by me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have the the Robert Davi character. I mean, I obviously recognized him uh, from from the Goonies. Oh yes. Like oh yeah. I mean, because it, for some reason, for the amount of times I've seen Predator Two. I'm just like, oh my god, he's in License to Kill, he's in The Goonies, he's in Die Hard. Like, he is in so much stuff. Why did I never, like, notice that in Predator 2? Like, it, it, for some reason, that always went over my head. And I can watch a movie, like, a million times and just be like, wait a second. You know? Yes, yeah, he is in this. It, it, yeah, he, that that's him. It's, like, I've seen The Lost World Jurassic Park, and I know I've told you this, like, over a thousand times. And it wasn't until I got older that I was like, oh, my God, this is Peter Stormare, like, in this. And it's like, I, I love him in literally everything, you know? And it's... Uh, oh, he makes everything better. Oh, straight up. He is incredible. He's like... Him and Gary Oldman, I think, are, like, two incredibly underrated actors. They're they're great in everything. And, and you're right. Like, a lot of these characters coming off a lot of great, you know, action movies. And it's kind of like... It was kind of like a greatest hits almost for the time and yes again i don't know why people don't look past and i know like the first predator was again like a lot of great actors and stuff like that it was like an all-star cast of like you know awesome buff action guys but it's like at the same time this had like a legit all-star you know action movie people you know between Danny Glover, G, uh, Gary Busey, I mean, and Bill Paxton, you know, I love Bill Paxton and everything. And it's just like how more people don't look at that and be like, oh, my God. Yeah, this movie's awesome. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get the hate for this movie. I don't think it's generally hated. I feel like it is generally overlooked. Yes. But, you know, oh God, everything about it is action packed. It never it gives you just enough time between action sequences to catch your breath. 
And this action sequence goes on forever. I mean, like, well, of course, we get the obligatory. The captain says, stay away. Don't go inside. The feds are coming in. So what does our hero do? He goes in. He ignores it. He says, fuck the feds. Because, of course, that's what you do. Oh, yeah. But when he gets up on on top and in just enough time, I will say one thing. Why do uh, a note I have here is why do heroes always have to announce their attack two seconds before before they they hit somebody? Like when Danny Glover ends up circling around behind the bad guys and he yells "Hey assholes!" before he decides to shotgun them. Yeah. I, I mean, is it just a matter of he won't shoot them in the back, but he's going to shoot them anyway? So he wants wants them to see the whites of their eyes before he does it. I I, I just feel like that's an action movie trope that I had to point out. Yes, no, and you're straight up. It, it's it's you have to get the cheesy one-liners in, and I feel like they do that to add insult to injury. Like I'm gonna kill you, but I'm gonna make sure I embarrass you before I do it. <laughs> right. Just like it, in the first Predator, I mean, oh my God, when Arnold throws that knife and sticks the dude to the uh, to the support beam in that little hut, and he's like, stick around, and it's just like, <laughs> if I was that guy, I'd be like, dude, are you kidding me? Did you seriously? Ugh, and then just die, like. I that's because that's the last thing I want to hear is a is a dad joke before I die, you know. But it's um yeah, yeah. I don't know why they do that. And it's in God, that was such a the in eighties and nineties thing. And I, I've noticed it a lot more. Like it's it's definitely coming back now and I feel like it's even more cringy than ever. But God, if I don't love when they do it though. It's, I, I know. It's, I, love I love it. it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I love to hate it. It's like it's obviously it, it's it's, it's, it, you know, it takes you out of the movie for a moment. It's like, ah, I see what you did there, you sons of bitches, you. You know, but thank you for doing it, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, totally. But think that, that, that action scene, though, and it was something I was really paying attention to uh, in, in my most recent viewing, because I feel like I was paying attention to, like, a lot of little details and stuff like that, but it's just, like, just the way they filmed that, and it's, like, it, it feels so high stakes, through that whole opening and then you know when when the the scorpio gang when they kind of get back up there and you know they're loading up with the guns and it's just like you kind of have that like gear up montage almost with you know them loading tons up. tons of and guns then, and cocaine yeah that dude like snorts all that cocaine and his like face is all white and he's like scorpio's ready and i'm just like oh <laughs> shit he's gonna fuck him up and then you know predator drops in and you know and like God, the amount of time the Predator, like, lays those guys to waste versus when the cops actually show up up there is, like, actually kind of incredible. Right. Like, just, like, a couple minutes, and he's just like, you guys are done. <laughs> I love it, though. That, that blatant disregard for, for public safety. But, you know, like, we're just going to wait a minute and then go storm the place because, you know, Fuck the rules and fuck your paycheck and fuck anything, any kind of reasoning. Yes, but, what, but we're going to take go time to get up there just in case, you know. But yeah, we're getting, well. They got to give them enough time, you know, to get to reload, you know, and use you know, oh. need bathroom break. I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever but, has to reload in these movies. You kidding me? That's no. Yeah, unless it's at the inopportune time and there's three guys left, and the the you know the main good guy only has two bullets. All that kind of. Die Hard, that's the only time you're going to need somebody to reload. Yes. But, but yeah, that's another movie another time. It's the same director. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, we get, well, Dale Scorpio, get the Scorpio's gang. Pretty much all laid out. He comes busting out of his little attack room, covered in cocaine and blood, just firing everything up. 
Danny Glover takes him to the roof, and of course, what does the El Scorpio see? He sees our little shimmery, you know, halfway cloaked version of uh, the Predator. And Danny Glover bl- blows him back off the, the building. And this is the point where actually it's something they never touch on afterwards. But th- this kind of comes into play later on. I think they instill an idea that Danny Glover is deathly afraid of heights because when he goes to climb up the little ladder to get to, mm-hmm. to look over the side, he does that like, whoa. Yeah. Like, mm, like he doesn't want to look. And there's even a bit of dialogue between him. Man, Reuben Blade's character is Danny, you know, when he's like, man, he's like, just don't stand close to the edge. He's like, don't fuck around with that. You know, which, of course, then Danny Glover has to start, like, climbing buildings, scaling fire escapes, and climbing across, you know, utility yeah. poles later on. Just but like pulling that... off a log, a, a 30-story log. She did, damn. You yeah. know, and it's, it's like, oh, man. It, it, I, I, you're totally right, because that's something that they they do touch on, I mean, like, four or five times throughout the film when he just does not do well with heights because even with the elevator scene there at the tail end it's just like man why can't this guy just stay on the ground because he has to like go <laughs> and drop through the hole and all that but yeah he's uh he's definitely not a fan of heights and i feel like throughout the movie and i feel like they first kind of like show it in in this particular scene but it's like he's already skeptical of like okay what did el scorpio see that made him like freak out like this what did this to these people and i feel like very early on he's like kind of skeptical about like what's actually going on and then all the way up to the time when he talks to like king willie later on and willie's just like you know this is a supernatural being from like between worlds and all this stuff and i feel like he's getting like just enough uh evidence like here and there to realize this isn't like a normal case that i would go after because it's like there, there's just enough weird stuff going on to, to kind of have them like, uh, what's going on, you know? And, and especially the stuff with the feds, because they're like very hush-hush about every little thing, especially later on with the uh, when the voodoo gang gets slaughtered and, and just the woman's left behind. And then she miraculously gets like, you know, flown away by the uh, the OWLF and all that. And it's, I, I, I kind of like that because he's like, he's still being like, going with his instinct and you know doing the cop thing but i like that they kind of sprinkle that little bits in there it kind of adds a little bit of mystery to everything and it makes you kind of like excited and anxious for for how it's all going to pan out well yeah you know and it um it expands not only our knowledge of what's going on but you're expanding his knowledge you know you're You're as the as the audience, you're seeing it again, you know, through his eyes and everything, and you're only kind of getting introduced to this shit. You know, we know because we see the predator. We sure. we got that previous knowledge of the first movie. He doesn't. He has no. Uh, he has to be kind of filled in on that. There's even the scene where uh, they kind of give him the story about what happened with Dutch. We were talking about this a little bit off the air too. Yeah. You know, the Dutch backstory that he got radiation poisoning. He, you know. Uh, what you know supposedly died nine months later but then it was like he escaped from the hospital i think that was part might have been part of the alternate uh backstory that they didn't that was a cut scene but then they even had uh, uh speaking of cut scenes i want to touch on this a little bit the anna character is the only character actually returned from the first uh predator movie she's seen briefly in that like little montage on, on the background while keys and them are having their conversation with uh yes. mike and yeah. that Originally, I know it was supposed to be a much bigger scene, but they cut it. 
maybe it played out better that way. I'm not sure that they really needed it, but it was enough of a wink and a nod to know, like, okay, this is definitely the same world. This is not alternative timeline. This is just late, you know, like later on down the timeline. Absolutely, and that's actually something that I do have a note on that I wanted to bring up is, as a special effects guy, like the the effects in this movie, I feel like kind of like one up the effects in the first Predator because I know in the first Predator. They had some issues because uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was originally playing the monster, and then he quit because he was, I guess, upset about the way some things were going, or I don't know the full story behind that. I heard and some of that story it, myself, yeah. Yeah, it was originally like a bug-looking character, but then they they changed it when Stan Winston came in with like um, with his team of people, and they made what, what we know now to be the, the Yelcha uh, Predator design. And, you know, I, I feel like in this movie, you know, they took everything from that movie and were like, how can we one up it and make it better? You know, and I was even watching in the special features how they're like, you know, the Predator suit in the first Predator movie was like one piece. All the armor pieces were part of the actual skin suit as well. I never oh. noticed that until like, they that. pointed it out. Now I'm going to like go back and watch the first Predator and see if I can pick up on that. But they said in this, we made skin suits and all the armor pieces were actually separate this time around. That way they could make multiple suits for the multiple Predators later and have them all have different armor. They said it would be cheaper to do it that way, which, you know, totally. But as an effects guy, I feel like even then, you know, with all the new technology we see the Predator use and the new Predator design and kind of uh, having a little bit, you know, more extreme gore and stuff like that, I feel like there are so many cutaways and there's points in certain scenes with like some of the kills where it feels like the movie might've gotten butchered by the MPAA because like when the net hits the dude in the, uh, in the apartment building, it feels like it cuts away like almost immediately. Yes. The predators like kind of cutting through those people and on the subway, the way it's filmed, I feel like, they were like, we want to be more brutal with this, but we don't want to be over the top. And it was, again, late 80s, early 90s, when the MPAA was butchering everything under the sun. You know? Oh, yeah, they were cutting everything they could. They they really were. And I know these movies were, like, more in the late 80s, but look at, you know, like, Friday the 13th Part 7, for example. There's, like, not a drop of blood in that whole movie. It was butchered so bad. And part of me wonders if there's not, like... And, and at this point in time, who even knows? But, you know, more footage. If there were, like, if these death scenes were original longer and it got, like, cut down. Because I've never heard anything about that. If there is missing footage or if it was cut to avoid, like, at that time, what would have been an NC-17 or an X rating, I don't know. See, I got but a, a it note does about feel that. Choppy at points. I do have a note about that. I don't know like ex- explicitly what was cut, but the original cut for this was uh, rated NC-17, and I think I read that it had to be submitted 18 times before. Really? Yeah, they kept having to trim more and more out. So you're you're on the you're right on the nose with that. Yeah, because yeah, you, you can tell by the way some some of these scenes are edited that it was like it got hacked up pretty good. Because it's like, ooh, what we got is super duper gory, but it's so brief, and it's like you said, the cutaways happen so often that it's obvious that they are trying to not show it. They are not t- trying to not give us the money shot. 
Absolutely, because I mean, I'd again, love to see an uncut version of it. I mean, if it exists out there anywhere, I if mean, who it knows? It does, in, and I feel like Stan Winston Studios, between them, between the filmmakers of this film, I mean, somebody has to have footage or photos or something that shows, hey, this is what it was originally. Because um, another movie that I absolutely love that we've talked about, Lost World, Jurassic Park, originally that got an R rating because hmm. it was so violent and they cut about 40 minutes from lost world. It's my understanding. They cut about 40 minutes from that movie. How? That's why there's so many plot holes and not to get too far off topic, but it's like, there are pictures floating around online and like concept art in like set photos that show scenes that were completely cut out of that movie. And I'm just like, Holy crap. I would give anything to get, a director's cut of that that is R-rated because, you know, there's the scenes with the velociraptors and there's photos floating around of that showing how violent some of those deaths were. And I feel like, you know, again, somebody who is involved with the making of Predator 2 has to have footage or photos or something, you know, that at least we could see to be like, no, this is what it originally was. And I feel like, and this could have just been like some kind of fever dream, but I feel like the the scene with the net gun, I feel like I did at one point see either photos or it extended like like daily photo or footage of the net like cutting through the guy's face. And I again I, I could just be imagining that. But I feel like something like that did leak at one point, like within the last five years or so online for a while. But but yeah, I mean, it was around that time and it totally makes sense that a lot of that stuff was cut down because like that whole scene, I feel like, was just rapid-fire succession of just the Predator tearing through people. And, like, even that in the uh, the slaughterhouse scene as well, instead of a lot of, like, blood splatter and stuff, you get a lot of, like, Power Rangers-style, like, sparks when he, like, cuts through people or stabs them with the telescoping, you know, spear. And yeah. just, like, it, there were a lot of scenes that it, it felt like they were pretty bloodless. And it... it Again, that doesn't, like, take me out of the movie at all, because I still love the movie. But in comparatively to, like, the Alien versus Predator or, like, the Alien and Predator comic books at the time, it was still fairly tame. Yeah, very tame. I mean, when you compare it to the, the, the others, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like I said. It's, it's it, or like you said. It's not so much that it's a detractor, but like in subsequent viewings, it's very, very obvious. I guess you could say. For sure, and especially like like me. I mean, I love seeing like super awesome special effects and things like that. And so that's some I always look for. But like, I guess like as you get older and watch these, because like when I was a kid and saw like Predator and Predator Two for the first time. You know, I was just like, oh, man, this is so awesome. But as I get older, I'm like, man, they cut stuff out of this. And it's like, man, I kind of want to see that. <laughs> Good or bad, I want to see that footage. You know, like, even Absolutely. if it's just a cut scene, it doesn't need, necessarily need to be edited back in. But, like, let, let me just take a peek. Scene. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's, like, raw footage, whatever it is, I just, I want to see, you know, what, what could have been, you know, kind of bringing it back uh, full circle back to you know the casting decisions like i, I want to see every little thing of a movie i like whether it's you know set photos bts you know raw footage anything like give me everything that was ever a part of it because i just i want to consume all that content 
Exactly. Same here. It's just like when I had seen, um, I think it was in uh, Starlog magazine, or it might have been Fangoria back in the day, Cine Fantastique, mm-hmm. or something like that. They had photos from this where, where they had a scene, it was a behind-the-scenes shot, of when the Predator kills King Willie. Yeah, and it wasn't just the the shot of him standing there with the sword to the the close up of his head as he you know pulls it away from the camera. Uh, there was like a scene of him separating the head, like so. It does something. It it, it exists out there somewhere, but mm-hmm. somebody's just not that somebody who has it just isn't coming off the footage. But one day we'll maybe get that Scream Factory or an Arrow video oh, release. Dude. Of, a predator two. I mean, if they're doing predator one, predator two, predator two can't be far off. It can't be. I, I haven't lost hope completely. Yeah, and it's like with how many different things have come out on the first predator, and with how relevant predator is now, like it wouldn't surprise me, you know, especially now that like, I mean, with with you know Disney acquiring 20th century, you know, and it's like they always talk about how they want to shelve it, and I'll, I'll actually get to some of that later as well, but like. Man, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody didn't get the rights to it and they were like, hey, you know, we're going to re-release this movie and we're going to, you know, take all the missing footage that we could potentially find and we're going to do like a composite cut, kind of like when they re-released Reanimator through Arrow Video and they released like four different cuts of the movie with all this missing footage. And there was footage that I had like never seen before. But it was so cool seeing that all put into like one big long composite cut, you know. And I would, I'd love to see that done with, uh, with Predator Two, and um, you know. And you're you're right. I think it it may have been either Starlog or Fangor or Gorzone or whatever from back in the in the day. But I do remember seeing some of those photos with King Willie floating around, and I'm just like, I don't remember that being in the movie. What? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a so, it's a neat transition when it goes from him standing there all at the ready with the sword, like he's getting ready to throw down, and then it's just his face. <laughs> yeah, it's a great transition, but like, it is. I still want to see it. So I want to see how how it was meant to be seen. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, and let's let's face it, he the predator kills everybody. He kill everybody he comes in t- contact with. He kills him pretty much with ease. I mean, he gets Danny shortly after. Uh, this scene. Well, actually, I mean, uh, it's not too soon a- after you know uh, he kills King Willie. He takes out. I mean, takes him out pretty e- easily. And that transition when the camera pans down. I, I, I'm a sucker for good camera shots. When oh, it yeah. pans down and it transitions and you see his reflection in the water. So you see there's kind of a, as I call it, a glitch in the technological uh, matrix. You yes. know, I, I love that transition, but. We also, and in this time frame, we get introduced to Bill Paxton's characters, Jerry Lambert, also known as the Lone Ranger. Nobody wants him. At first, he just keeps getting blown off, but I love him when he's getting blown off by uh, Danny Glover. He's like, man, I thought he was here to fix the fucking air conditioning. He's like, that's the Lone Wolf or that's the Lone Ranger? The guy he's is supposed like, to have We don't this. need any cowboys out here. Nobody transfers here on purpose unless they're trying to make a point. You know, it's just like, yeah. he's so serious. And I feel like Bill Paxton's character brings a lot of comedic relief. Especially... He always does. He always brings a wackiness to him. Oh, I, I loved Bill doubt. Paxton. I loved I loved him to death. He, I, I might not have loved every movie he did, but I loved every role he was in. If I, that makes I totally agree. And I think that, um, you know, his scenes, again, with... Um, Oh, with uh, the Tony Pope character when he's like, hey, I'm your biggest <laughs> fan. And like, it just, it reminds me so much of like his character in uh, in Aliens, you know, his character in, in Terminator. And it's just like, he's, he's like 
just I mean amazing and everything even uh down to like you know in near dark twister like every movie he's in I mean he's just such a lovable character whether he's a good guy a bad guy whatever and uh man when I got the news of his passing I was truly absolutely gutted about that because he just he just seemed like such an incredible person yeah yeah when I I got news of his passing as well I was I was pretty let down. We had a little triple feature night here watching some movies of his mm-hmm. in remembrance of him. It, yeah, it was a sad day. He He's somebody I remi- I'm reminded of or very fondly. Yeah. You know, especially, I mean, uh, especially in Near Dark, he doesn't play it. You know, like you said, whether he plays a good guy character or a bad guy character, he's just always entertaining. And I love uh, Severin and Night- Near Dark. That's my favorite, favorite vampire movie all time. It, Scott Tupperman would say, say and argue with me, no, it's the greatest movie of all time. But <laughs> it, <laughs> I, won't, I, I won't agree there, but I will agree that it's the greatest vampire movie ever made. It is in my top three vampire movies, I think. And I, I, he's just, he is such an awesome character in that. And like I said, he's totally a bad guy, but you're like, you low-key wish you were that cool. When, and, and I feel that <laughs> way about a lot of the characters he plays. Like, even though he's such a goofball in Predator 2, like... I wish I was that witty and that like entertaining to be around. Cause it's like, even though he keeps getting blown off by, uh, by Danny Glover. And even though, um, you know, Leona keeps like, you know, blowing him off and all this stuff. It's like, <laughs> she kicks him in the balls at one time, I think. She does. And she's or, even, no, she grabs like, hey, him how by are the balls. Th- He's like, Hey, they're fine. How are yours? And it's just like, <laughs> I wish I was that clever. Like he's just, he's such a lovable dude. And it's, uh, yeah, and just the dynamic, even though all of these characters who are on the same team are a little bit dysfunctional, like, they work really well as a team, though. And it's just, like, they they have a really fun dynamic, I think. And it's it's really cool to watch them all on screen. And they have really good on-screen chemistry. And that's something I noticed as, as I got older and, like, got into filmmaking is everybody's on-screen chemistry is really well, works really well in this movie. And um, I think that, you know, again, you have a lot of great actors, but it's it's just something about Predator 1 and Predator 2, both these, like, everybody had, just works really well on screen, and I, I love seeing that. And I feel like it, it doesn't, a movie that very well could be, like, goofy and just be like, oh, God, this is a crap sequel, because, I mean, this movie totally could have been that. You know, it, it. I think it keeps you in it, and it, it makes you care about the people you're you're seeing on screen. You know, the the subway scene with um, oh, with um, Bill Paxton and Maria's characters. You oh, know, yeah, going like, up against the gang members when the predator gets on the subway and starts slashing through people again. It's like, well, and he kills. Oh, this man. is the first time he kills uh, pedestrians or whatnot because everybody's yeah. got a gun. Like everybody in this train car is pulling a gun on somebody. Which was actually a hilarious scene, and I will always crack up as that like little nerdy dude pulls up. Don't make me use this. I know how to use it. And then the one dude's like, "Yeah, but mine's bigger." And then like the whole train car is all like, "Yeah, but we got guns too." And it's like. Everybody's fucking got guns on this. Yeah, train. it's like what the is end. Happening? It's, it's like the end of True Romance. It's like you got cops with guns, you got mob guys with guns, you got the bank robbers with guns, and just some other random guys with guns. It's like but before even the cops even pulls out their guns and tells everybody, "Put down your guns!" They're pulling out more guns. There's yeah. at least fifteen, twenty open open firearms in this uh, this train cabin. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I feel it's, like- 
it, it, it's really entertaining, but at the same time, and it's like, and I, and I don't like to like lean anyway, like, or get like political or anything, but I feel like that was like, there's a lot of like social commentary stuff going on in this film. I feel like, like, oh, yeah. kind of low key, like subtext type stuff. And I feel like that was kind of one of the things. Cause I know around that time, you know, I mean, listen to any like music from that time where, you know, gang violence and stuff like that was like really big. I mean, God listen to a body count album. You know, and it's like, I feel like right, right. That, that was a big fear in that time. And I feel like they were kind of like playing into that and just kind of like making like, oh, not really making light of it or making a joke, but I feel like that was kind of that, you know. Uh, they were just kind of showing the ridiculous side of it, so to speak, because it's just like for real. Yeah. what happens when everybody has a gun. It's just not, you know, yeah, and no it's, good and things again, are going to come from it. Making it that kind of like not so far in the future dystopia of hey everybody's got a gun you know we all got to carry guns everywhere because look at what we deal with and it's like it's it's kind of hilarious to make a joke out of it like that and it's uh i mean even like the kid because i'm telling you when i saw this movie the first time and that little kid was running around with the toy gun in the cemetery and the predator like had the laser on i was like is he about to kill a freaking kid oh my and i was like there's yeah. No way. They're, and then he's just like, want some candy? And there, there's <laughs> that whole scene is ridiculous, ain't it? It's so stupid, but I love it. And I remember uh, there's a YouTuber I watch, and his name's James Janice, and he has this channel called Dead Meat, and he does like kill counts on movies. And he brought up the exact thing I thought the first time I watched Predator Two, and he said, "Please don't tell me." The Predator is about to use that phrase and then say it later. And oh my God, he does on the train. And I'm just like, whoever wrote this movie needs slapped for that alone. But it's like, oh my God. And it, it, crack, it cracks me up. And every time I bring up Predator to, like, to, my, to one of my really good friends there, and he just, he's like, want some candy? Because it's like, that's <laughs> what everybody remembers from that movie is that one stupid scene with the kid with the candy. And it's just, oh. Uh, I know, and it's just like, it just shows you with an editing, they could have cut 15 seconds out and it could have changed an entire fucking movie. It, absolutely, <laughs> and it's like, and again, I'm, that's just me oh. nitpicking it, because I, I do love the movie, but I got I gotta, like, pick on it a little bit for being a little bit goofy with that with that scene, but... but it's no, a, little I, heavy, I, a little heavy-handed. <laughs> it is, and I, and I did legitimately thought, I was like, man, he's gonna kill that kid with the gun, and he doesn't, and like, that ends up being a really tense scene, because... Uh, you know, Danny Glover's character ends up finding uh, the broken necklace. And yeah, then he's like, yeah, yeah. man, somebody's messing with me now. And that that I really like that scene a lot because I feel like that's when he's like really realizing, okay, someone's messing with me. Something's really not right. I mean, which was pretty obvious up to that point because I, I feel like that point in time, they found uh, the dart from the Predator's wrist gauntlet they found out like, hey, this doesn't match anything on the periodic table. Like, this is there's some weird stuff going on. Yeah, and, I don't think he real re thinks it's in any way, shape, or form. At least at that point in the movie, that it's aliens. Yeah, you know, or but the predator. But something ain't something ain't right. Something ain't normal. Yeah. And and I think that you know, that this just like, I don't know. And it it kind of adds to the whole like, the predator is toying with him. Just like they do, because it's like, again, they talked about it. It's like, he's he's on an African safari. He goes, you know, when, when there's conflict, when it's the hottest of the hot, 
and they the predators they throw themselves into the middle of a conflict for because it's the thrill of this hunt and they toy with us and you know it, it it's like he's he's almost like making it a game and yeah i i love that aspect because they do that i mean just a smidge in the first predator but i feel like even more so in this film and and again going back to like kevin peter hall with his performances he plays obviously the original predator he plays the snake predator in this film but he also plays the elder predator at the end and it's like these wait they won the hands danny glover the gun Correct. Yes, he also ah, played. That I knew movie. he played a couple of them, but I didn't know he played that one. Yeah, he did. And what's crazy about it is he plays three different predators, same guy, and no three seem the same, like at all. Like he just he brought so much life and so much individuality to each each one that he played. And I guess rumor is Danny Glover was a big Lakers fan. They got even a few. Um, a few of the guys who played for the Lakers to play Predators in the ending sequence with all the <laughs> uh, of the Predators. And I don't know how true that is. That's just what they said in the behind the scenes and they didn't give names. But I guess like two or three of those Predators were, were uh, players for the for the Lakers, which I thought was really, really funny. That's funny. Needed... If, that's, if that's true, that's funny. I guess it pays yeah. to know people. And they needed people that were tall and athletic and, you know, uh, kind of built in a specific way to wear those suits and to portray these characters. And I guess, you know, those guys would have been perfect, you know. And it's just like, um, again, like each one of those Predators, because, again, if, if you read the comics, if you look at the toys, if you look at the movies, like every Predator has like its own unique helmet, skin texture, colors, designs. I mean, it's like they're all so different. Not like, you know, a xenomorph where you have, like, three or four designs, but, like, that's it. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, there's, like, one species, but there's, like, many different variants of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's, like, you know, you you see a lot of that in this. And it's even uh, a a cool behind-the-scenes thing that I saw was one of the Predators uh, in, in the ship is wearing the original Predator mask they designed for the first Predator before they changed it. And one of the predators on that ship is wearing the helmet from the first movie. But uh, that Uh. the predator that's wearing the the original mask that was supposed to be the mask in the first movie, uh, I guess is linked to the Celtic predator in AVP, which kind of brought me to a thing that I wanted to talk about was how this movie kind of was trying to set up like a, a like, a world and like a shared universe with other movies with having like the xenomorph skull on the uh on the ship and all that stuff see i caught that the first time i watched it back in the day i was like 14 years old i think when i saw this and i caught that right off the bat i'm like that's a xenomorph skull yeah and it's like as a kid seeing that and you're just like oh shit are they gonna like do a crossover because the avp comic started in 1989 so it's like they started doing these comics like right before this movie came out. And I feel like, man, that that's gotta be a nod. But the guys from Stan Winston studio said they literally did it just as an Easter egg for fun. And there was like never really any intention of that. But I'm like, man, you're really setting it up because like there, there was a lot of stuff like that there. In fact, the, the storyline for predator two 
And I feel like we're like jumping all over the place here, but I mean that's part of the fun oh. of talking about this. Stuff. Oh yeah, we talk about whatever we um, want. It's our it's our show, man. Fuck it. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> the pre- the Predator Two storyline actually comes from the when Dark Horse released the Predator comic. Uh, it was originally just a four book series, just called Predator, but the surtitle of it was Concrete Jungle, and it took place in New York and is basically the storyline of Predator Two. I guess when they wanted to come up with a sequel for Predator, someone had read the Predator uh, comic series, the, those four issues from Dark Horse, and they contacted the writer, and they're like, hey, we want to adapt your story for our thing. They just moved it to L.A. because of filming conditions. And uh, the, the originally the lead uh, cop character in that was white. They obviously changed him to be uh, uh, Danny Glover. And like there was just like little changes like that. But it's uh, but yeah, it came from that that initial Predator comic. And then I think I remember reading a couple of those. I, I remember reading some of the you know the, sporadically some of the Alien comics, some of the Predator yeah. comics. I seem to remember one called Concrete Jungle. Yeah, and I do. Re- I remember the, the Aliens Colonial Aliens Colonial Marines. I remember cl- yep. collecting those. I think they're all they were all put out by Dark House. Yeah, Dark Horse did. All or that yeah, Dark Dark Horse. Sorry, not Dark day, House. And, uh, you know, eight, like I said, AVP, Predator, and Aliens, all three of those started in, in like, 89 and then, like, continued on through the, all the way up till now. But now that uh, Disney owns 20th Century, now Marvel is putting out the Alien and Predator comics. In fact, Alien number one just came out, like, last month, and I, I had to buy an issue because that's, like, historic. Because that's the first time it's changed hands over to someone bigger than Dark Horse because Dark Horse doesn't have it anymore. It's Marvel. And having an alien comic with that Marvel tag, I mean, that was just the coolest thing ever, you know. And uh, it's just, it, I, you know, I read Alien vs. Predator Duel, uh, which they used the Predator Alien from that in Alien vs. Predator uh, Requiem. And then the, I read, like, Deadliest of Species, which kind of had a, uh, like, a Blade Runner vibe to it. And there's just, like, there's so many cool things. And I think... You know, now that I've gotten older, I think that's what I like so much about Predator 2 is it's clearly based off a comic book. And when you're watching it, it feels like a comic book movie. It feels like you're watching a comic book because some of the shots in this movie are ripped directly from the comic book. You know, and like when you watch the suit up scene with the El Scorpio gang. The way they're like grabbing ammo, loading guns, and it's like I could see this being frame by frame in a comic. You know, you're seeing right, it right in Me the too. apartment building when the predator's ripping through people, or that transition with King Willie, with him standing in front of the predator, cutting to the severed head. It's like this is all stuff I could see in a comic book. This is all stuff we see in comic books, and the way it was like setting up for like that shared universe, and it's like they were kind of low-key doing what Marvel is doing now, what DC tries to do now. and it. But it was like before anybody really thought of doing that because you didn't have that kind of stuff in movies back well, in the 80s and 90s. They weren't doing shared universes and stuff like that. Like And they weren't doing comic book films, really. They, they, they weren't. You like, know. And I made note, like, you have movies like Conan the Barbarian. You had Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, Red Sonja. Those are based on comic books and, and and based off novels. But it's like, you know, The Mask, uh, Judge Dredd. Uh, RoboCop isn't obviously based on a comic book, but there was comic book based off RoboCop. 
And it's like, these were like comic book movies, but it's like, man, they've been doing them forever. And it's like, these were like, unlike anything else. And you get some that are better now, some that aren't. But it's just like, it feels like you're watching a live action comic book. Just like, you know, I just, I, I it's shameful to say, I just saw The Mask for the first time ever, like, three or four months ago. I don't know how it took me so long. But it's like, as a kid, I, I read the comic books. I never saw the movie. And when I see the movie, it's like, it's so tame compared to the comic books, you know? But it's like, but it's still fairly, you know, fairly accurate. And, and same with, like, you know, Conan the Barbarian and, uh, you know, with Predator. And it's like, they, they were really nailing that stuff. And it's... It, it, it feels cool because those feel more like comic book movies to me, even more so than like the newer comic book movies we see. And I, do, I don't know. Yeah. I can't put my finger on it why that is, but it's just I, I don't know if it's the way they're filmed or what, but it's like the level of fan service you get in Predator 2 that you don't really get in any of the other Predator movies is, is just like it's satisfying. Just like, you know, the ending of uh Jason goes to hell when, you know, Freddy reaches up and pulls the mask down into hell. Yes. It's like, it's those little things that just, like, amp you up so much because it was so far ahead of its time. Yeah, because, like you were saying, this, well, I mean, with this movie was the first kind of hint of any kind of a, a crossover world Absolutely. happening. There was no, you know, like I said, Jason versus Freddy is years before even the, the little finale, like you said, at the end of Jason Goes to Hell. They weren't doing that. They weren't talking about, you know, doing a Jason versus Freddy. Well, they were talking about there was rumblings, but, you know, nothing was happening. This was the closest, this is literally the closest we got. I mean, we still never got a, a, a RoboCop versus Terminator movie, which yep. may or may not be a blessing in disguise. I just, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that we never got. You know, I, I love the Terminator franchise a lot. And I love RoboCop a lot. Like, I, I love RoboCop so much, dude. I used to carry around a RoboCop action figure with me everywhere I went. I'd take pictures of him doing stuff. And I would post, <laughs> on, I would post him on Instagram as daily RoboCop. I swear to God, I did it for like three years straight. And uh, it, I don't know what drugs I was on at the time, but like, good lord, that was dumb, but also a lot of fun. But yeah, it's it like, man, I—that's a crossover that I'm really glad we never got because I just don't feel like that would have worked super yeah, well. But it works like, well it, in the comic; it doesn't work well in a movie. It, like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It works well in theory, but let, let's just not and say we did, right? Exactly, and that's almost—and I hate to say it because they're fun movies. And I'd rather have a bad movie in a franchise than none at all. Like, you know, for, for example, like, I would rather The Predator. That came out, what, like two or three years ago? The Predator, I did Yeah, three not, years ago, I think. I did not care for it. I'll be 110% honest. It was not my favorite. But I didn't either. I didn't care for it very much. It, it was a good one-time kind of flick, but I don't feel like I ever need to see it again. I, I totally agree to that. And I think it's... It had a good story for the most part, like good ideas. I just don't feel like it was executed super well. And I think it was like poorly written at times, but I think it was generally like a decent idea, but like, man, I, I'd rather have that than not have the franchise continue. And when it comes to like aliens and predators, man, both AVP movies, I feel like fell very flat. Like the first movie followed like the basic shell of like in the avp comics because you had like 
the Makiko character kind of in there, and it's like the the hunt on Earth, and it's like you you kind of had basic like crumbs of what it could have been, but it's like it was PG thirteen and it was very watered down. And then when you have AVPR comes out, and then it's like it was filmed so dark, you have to like change the exposure on your TV to even tell what the hell is going on. Oh yeah, got it. Yeah, like, that, that movie that, that sucks so bad because it's like. Man, if had it been filmed halfway decently, it, it probably would have been awesome. But that, like, that totally takes me out because again, you have the Predator Alien from the AVP Duel comics there, and it's like that was so sick, and the special effects were awesome. And it was gross and grimy, and I, I just love that. But again, it wasn't a great movie, and I would love potentially to see now that you have a company like you know. Marvel, Disney, like they own all this stuff and they seem to be revitalizing a lot of franchises and stuff like that. I would love to see them redo and, and make a new AVP movie, but give it justice, you know? And a yeah, lot of now that they seem to like to have everything in place and I'm not yeah. necessarily thinking the right tools, but you know, the they have a chance to do it all over again and, and to do it right. You well, know, I but... think they have the right people because people talk all the time. They're like, well, it's Disney. And I'm like, yes, but Disney also owns Marvel and they together did the Daredevil series, the Jessica Jones, Punisher and all that on Netflix. And dude, those were pretty hardcore. And I feel oh. like if they, I feel like if they can do that. Pre- the Predator gonna... series and the, and the Daredevil series are two of my favorites. I love those. They were so good. And, you know, and I feel like if they're willing to do that, if they're willing to make, to release the Alien comic with the Marvel tag and make it as gory as it's been, if they're willing to let Deadpool keep an R rating under the Disney Marvel tag, like, man, there's no reason, especially, and say what you will about the new Star Wars movies, because that's a whole nother conversation. But... I don't hate them as much as everybody else seems to. I'll just put this out there. You know, do I think they're the best films? No, but they're, God, they're, 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 put it this way. They are not nearly as bad as the prequel series. I was just about to say, if they're not the prequels, so we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big hater on the prequel series, but I don't mind, I I don't mind the second ones. You know, I have some issues with them. Are they perfect? No, but, uh, yeah, I I like them. They're all right. I'm with you there. They're still good, And, and I'll say, Disney has had a knack for revitalizing franchises, for bringing stuff back and breathing new life into things for not only that are satisfying for the generation that grew up with these things, but making it relevant enough for future generations who may want to get into it. Because, dude, working at an FYE, I'm going to tell you, and and for those of you listening who don't know what FYE is, no, just kidding, because, like, they don't exist anymore, hardly, but it's, uh, (laughs) but... Dude, the amount of kids... It's an old brick-and-mortar store, if you yeah, if you remember what those are like. We sell these things called CDs. Wait, um, a physical media? Moving physical pictures? Media. Oh, God. That, that was a thing at one point. You used to be able to buy your favorite movies and watch them whenever you want, and when it came off Netflix, you didn't panic because you had it physically. Um but you know, it's funny as we as we're speaking in space time continuum of things here. Like right before we were getting ready to do this show, I had another movie I'm I watched as a review that I'm doing later on tonight, 
And I was just like, oh, well, I'm glad I have it. Uh, you know, I have a physical copy of it. I have it on Laserdisc and VHS. <laughs> and I went to look. It's not streaming anywhere. So I felt kind of boastful for a moment. One of those like, hmm, yes, yes. I don't have to worry about the uh, <laughs> little streaming service. I have it on Laserdisc. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I saw your Facebook post about that, and that kind of that cracked me up a little bit. I won't lie, but it's, yeah. uh, man, it's it's I, I just I feel like you know I see so many people around my age. Like I'm I'm twenty. Oh God, I forgot how old I was. I'm twenty six. Oh, you're just, I, a, just a pup. I'm, ju- just I'm just I'm just a, a I'm just a cub. But like when it comes to like these new generations of stuff. It's weird. Cause my dad was young when I was born. My dad was like 23 when I was born. And, you know, so when I was growing up and I was like, you know, eight or nine, like my dad was still actively watching like the Terminator movies and like horror movies. And stuff. So it's like, I was, I kind of had access to that stuff, but it's like these, these new generations, like it's almost like trendy to be into horror, which kind of sucks. But at the same time, it's cool Cause it's like, you get to see more stuff pop up. So when I'm working at FYE, there's kids who are like anywhere from age, like seven or eight up to people my age buying like the NECA predator figures. And then like, I totally nerd out with them about like the comics and the movies and like the, the connections between the two and, and the lore and stuff. And it's so awesome. And I feel like now is a great time to start making new movies and to revitalize these franchises and give them new life and give them another chance. Cause I mean, you look at like the captain America movie that came out, like what the eighties or nineties and how fucking garbage it is. And like oh, the original, the... the original judge dread movie was Stallone versus the dread we got with Carl Urban or like, you know, um, I love God. both of them for different, ver- different reasons. One, the, the original is good for a drinking game that I made up. Yeah. <laughs> the Carl Urban one is just a damn good movie. It period. Is. It is. It, it's like the the it's like the raid, but on steroids, on science it, it, science it fiction totally steroids. Is. And it bums me out we never got it because the sequels because it's supposed to be a trilogy and the third movie was supposed to be Judgment Day with the Dark Judges and I'm like fuck, man, that would have been so rad. But I just, like, the way nowadays with how nerd culture, I feel like, is more rel- relevant than ever, and people feel more comfortable playing D&D, people feel more comfortable going to cons and, like, being open about that. And it, it you don't feel, like, as much of an outsider as, like, you did growing up when I was, like, reading these comics and getting, you know, picked on at school. And it's, like, it, it's cool now, but with that comes, like, these films are being done in such a way that it's like they're being done justice. So I'd love to see AVP movies come out or new predator movies or new alien movies that like pull from the comics and like actually, you know, have their justice. And I would just, I would love to see that. And I feel like now's the great time for it, you know, and even if they're not like the best thing ever, like still, I just want to see some new stuff and, like I said, I'd rather see, you know, a, 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 another sequel that's maybe not a great film than see no film at all. And just to see exactly. the, it just and, die off. And I feel like a movie like Predator 2, and like I said, I like it so much because it just feels like you're watching a, a comic book movie. And it just, it's it's fun, it's campy, there's action, there's, you know, the, the balls to the wall violence, it, it, minus what was cut out, you know, but it's like, it has everything that that you'd want in it, and I just I feel like people need to give it another shot because every time I watch it, 
you know, no matter how many times I watch it, I mean, I, I just, I love it so much and it's just a fun movie and it's just well, cool to sit back and enjoy. It's also a movie with a little bit of heart and that is by yes. no means to be taken as a pun because like when Ruben Blades' character dies, mm-hmm. you know, when, when uh, Bill Paxson's character dies, you feel something, you feel lost. They, they, they hone in on that. Exactly. And, you know, you, they're characters that you care about, which is to me says something about the writing. And I think that's something that nobody t- takes it, uh, you know, to, takes any uh, notice of is how great the writing is they oh, tie sweet. up loose ends they, they still manage to tie in the original but albeit briefly but they make you care enough about these characters even though you get to meet them i mean you're barely introduced to them before you know like ruben plays what has three scenes before he's bumped off yeah. but you feel it you know you feel his loss in within like the Mike Harrigan character and leona's character you feel like they were a family and you know they're not just uh it's just not a throwaway character, you know, that it's like, oh, well, they killed off guy number three from the left. Yeah, and, and you're totally right, and it, the writing is really good, and it kind of goes with what I was saying before about the, the feeling of the stakes is when, you know, when you have the Jerry and Leona character on the subway, and, you know, she's rushing trying to get these, you know, people off, and, you know, Jerry's over here trying to gun down the Predator and stuff, and it's like, you're like, dude, get out of there, come on, go with her, and it's like, you feel that, and you know, and when the uh, and, when and twenty minutes and twenty minutes ago, nobody knew who this guy was. Not even yeah. the rest of our characters knew who he was, much less even liked him. Now you're just rooting for him to, to just get the fuck out. Yeah, because you know, it, it, even as goofy as he is, whether you like him or not, it's just like man, he, he's 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 just he's a good character. And with Danny's character dying, I think the way you know Mike Arrigan reacts to that it's like you know he's like we've been on the force for 15 years and it's just like the acting is just it's really good it's not subpar for like you know a a science fiction slash action movie sequel it's not like it's not like your typical sequel because i feel like there's this common um oh what would i even call it just like there's this common misconception that sequels are garbage you know but there's so many sequels out there that i feel like are as good, if not better, than the originals. And I feel that way with, like, with Predator 2 and Aliens, and like you had mentioned before, Psycho 2, there's just, there's this opportunity for you to build off what the first movie created and expand on the lore, introduce some new characters, and, like, keep the ball rolling, you know, because you don't have to set anything up. It's just building off what's already there. And I feel like this movie gave us an opportunity to be introduced to some relatable characters and, and watch how they, you know, navigate through this series of events. And, you know, you feel the loss and you feel the excitement and you feel the fear and the, and you feel the risk. And it's just, it's just, it's a roller coaster ride. And yeah. it's like, it's so Especially much fun. Especially that last third, that last yeah. act of it. Oh yeah. When, when Mike Harrigan's character is literally like chasing him from the subway you know, t- from uh, the the slaughterhouse. You know, yeah. with their plan to get him at the slaughter slaughterhouse, you knew Keys and his men were not going to make it. You oh, yeah. you know you know they weren't going to make it. Keys makes it a little longer than everybody else, but they make the mistake of thinking that you know the predator can only see in one kind of light, which is infrared. It's like, oh come on, with all the high tech gadgets and shit that the predator had, did you really think that there was a way you're going to beat him? And I got to talk about that just even for a, a second. Mm-hmm. I am a big fan of, of tech gadgets in movies, even if they yeah. don't make any sense and they're not 
scientific, you know, scientifically correct. But I love like the weapons and the gadgets that the Predator has and how they expand upon that with uh, what the hell do they call it? Um, the the net. And then there's this, the, the spear, not the spear. What am I thinking of? Uh, uh, the the disc. disc. Yeah. I love all the different, like, just the tech gadgetry. I'm always looking for that in movies, you know what I mean? And I always wonder, uh, I did a little dig, and, and, you know, and I always wonder, ooh, what happened to, like, things like that? You know, because I always go, what happened to, you know, the prop? What happened to Conan's sword? What happened to, you know, Scarface's machine gun? Where did did it end up? Well, speaking of Scarface's machine gun, it ended up in Predator. Uh, (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, it's the same one that, yeah. Maybe the same prop master worked on both films or something, and they just keep that stuff. Because I know sometimes, just based on my personal experiences and, you know, having friends in the in the industry and working in the industry, as a special effects artist, I have a case here in my studio that has all the different weapons that I've used in different movies. And I've used the same hunting knife for killers to use in movies like in three or four different movies you know and it's like i don't want to buy one every single time and it's like i've had productions like offer to buy it off me so they can sell it in like a uh and like a crowdfunding or whatever but it's like in a lot of movies your prop masters accumulate this stuff over time and next thing you know they have like a huge warehouse full of props that they'll just use from movie to movie so a lot of stuff does get reused or like you know well, i do part cannibalized and rebuilt yeah, I've done the same thing. I've reused the same uh, fake mini sledgehammer for two different short films and for uh, a feature. You know, a good prop is a good prop. You don't, you just oh, don't sure. get rid of it. But what I was uh, driving at was that the spear, the retractable spear yeah. that the Predator uses in this, disappeared after the day that they were done filming was a little bit of tidbit. So somebody stole that and put it there in their own uh, little uh, personal collection that ended up completely... Uh, just just missing just all of a sudden missing you know as you do that is wild oh i wonder who has that now because so, again, somebody has it <laughs> 30 31 years later and it's like it's it's somewhere you know and it's like and i know like stan winston studios good god they they probably helped build a lot of that stuff and i'm like they could probably build another one if they wanted to but it's like man that original one and, and it's like, how many props do they still have, you know? And it's like, right. uh, my God, like in Lost World Jurassic Park, the uh, the mobile lab, the like the double uh, bus that got pushed over the ledge, mm-hmm. one of the screen used ones was in a junkyard in Texas somewhere for like years and years and years. And I guess some guy bought it off the junkyard and spent like 10 years uh, or something like that rebuilding it. In like restoring it back to its original glory, and I guess I don't know how true like all this is because there may have been multiple. But it's my understanding Universal Studios bought it off that guy then, and now it's on one of their back lots. <laughs> so I'm just I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't that, doubt that. It's so crazy to even think about, but it's like, but you're totally right. Like I think about that stuff a lot because there's that uh, prop store uh, based out of the UK and they do like prop auctions from screen used items and stuff like that all the time. And I'm just like, man, 
how many props have they seen? Like, how do they even, how many collections have they seen? Where, where did all this stuff go? Where did it come from? And it's just like, it, it's crazy when you have such iconic um, items and props from different movies, you know, like lightsabers, the Predator's telescoping spear or Conan's sword or Robocop's gun or helmet or whatever. And it's just like, man, what what becomes of this stuff and what I want to give to hold it in my hands for five minutes, you know, just. I've, I've often wanted you know, to do a documentary like that to, to based off of these iconic things that like things people like I found, you know, the Batmobile in my basement, you know, or not, not oh, literally man. the Batmobile, but you know what I mean? Like that oh, kind good. of like a documentary of like, hey, I was just tooling around and I found, you know. Conan the Barbarian sword and loincloth, you know, in a in a box from in my uncle's basement or attic or something like that, yeah. you know. You know, he had a friend of a friend who somehow got this and gave it to him on his forty third birthday for shits and giggles, and it's just like, how does that even happen, you know? And, <laughs> and then you know stories like that all the time that is like someone's just like, yeah, they just let us keep it at the end of production. And I was just like, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> ended up in this person's hands. How? Like, it's just, it, it blows my mind, you know, I, uh, when I was living out in Los Angeles in 2014, and this is the craziest thing, um, I was working in an effects studio, and a couple of the guys working there were big, uh, comic book, uh, nerds like myself, and, um, one of the guys had a friend who lived in San Diego and was a big collector on original pages, original, like, ink or pencil pages from different old, like, comic books and the dude had a huge collection yeah. of original art from like punisher issues from like the 90s and he's he somehow and don't even ask me how he did he pulled this off because i in a million years couldn't tell you somehow got a mold for a helmet us and a sword from 300 and we one day spent a whole day running a fiberglass helmet out of that mold and running a uh like a uh, urethane plastic copy of a sword. And then they somehow had molds from the original Planet of the Apes movie. And we ran oh. foam, foam latex appliances. Now, they're probably not the original, original molds. They're probably copies of the original. But still, and I'm like, where the fuck did you find these, dude? Like, those, how? Yeah, how, like, where, think, why? There's it's a story cool. there. There's a but story what there. What is he? He made a trade deal with this guy to get these original uh, Punisher uh, art pieces. Is he said, "I will trade you a uh, a sword and a helmet from these molds, and we'll make them totally screen accurate if you trade it." And and that's totally what he did. So we made like these swords and stuff. And I'm like, it's funny how just knowing someone, you could be like, "Hey, can you make me one of those?" You know. It, I have a friend who uh, who met Tom Savini at a horror convention, and his favorite horror movie is The Prowler, and I think that's one of Savini's best works in makeup wise. And he went up to Tom Savini, he's like, "Hey, dude, I love The Prowler so much. Um, can I? Do you have any props from that movie? I'd like to buy one off you." And Savini's like, "Well, we, you know, this was one of the you know knives we used. This was one of the roses. Blah blah blah." He's like, I can make you something. He's like, no, I, I want to buy the thing. And he has one of the roses from the movie now. And I'm just like, yeah, what? I'm... Like, first off, I want to have the balls to go up to someone and even ask to be like, because, hey, how much is that? Even yeah, that takes on? some brass brass balls to come up and ask them, hey, do you have a prop Straight left over from that? But it's like, 
it, it's just funny how those things happen and how like just knowing <laughs> someone can can lead me into that because man, <laughs> like, I could have a copy of Conan's sword from the movie, like hell yeah, but it's uh, like, do you happen to have the you know the the original glove from Nightmare on Elm Street Part One just lying around anywhere because I want to buy it? Yeah, <laughs> specifically, I would like the one from Part Two. You know, it's like right. What are you even talking about, dude? But it's like again, like you just know people and and things kind of just happen, but. Uh, getting into props a little bit, one of the cool things that uh, I, I read, and this was something like I, I kind of figured out like years and years and years ago, but like at the end of Predator, um, right before the ship takes off and the Elder passes the pirate gun off to uh, off to Danny Glover that says uh, Raphael Adelini, uh, and it was uh, dated at like 1715 or something like that. Yeah, 1715. I made a so note of that part. Yeah. They they gave backstory on that in the year 1996. There was a comic book released called Decade of Dark Horse, number one. And it was a bunch of short stories from different Dark Horse uh, properties, Alien, Predator, The Mask, Ghost, stuff like that. And... Um, they did. It was one. It was a short story called Predator Seventeen Eighteen, and it gave the backstory on who Raphael Adelini was, and he was a pirate in the in the Caribbean, uh, and it, the he fought alongside a predator, and it's uh, like I said, it's just a short like comic in that one series, like a one off thing, but I thought it was so cool because I always thought, man, that has to be something from the comics, but no, it was just something random that they later gave backstory okay. on. And that just shows how, how so it technically you were right. You weren't wrong. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was something comic-wise, you know, and it's just that that kind of blew my mind. I thought that was like really, really cool. And uh, you know, I just I love how deep the lore goes and with with that, and again, kind of just going right in with that being like a comic book movie that there's just so much to pull from. And uh yeah, it's just I always thought that was like a weird thing in the movie, but when I, you know, got older and researched a little bit deeper into it and then I then I read that short story, like as a comic collector, I like sought that out and that was that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. I did, I did, I did make a note that it said seventeen fifteen on it, but I wasn't quick enough, and I didn't pause it to to write down the name on it. But that's cool. I I love to read that story at some point. But you know, like we're pretty much at the end of the film. I mean, God, we could cover more and more of it. I mean, oh, but at this yeah. at this point, you know, we've. Uh, I mean, God, with that chase. I want to touch base though on on the battle at the slaughterhouse before we wrap yes. up things. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Now, when the the pre- <laughs> when the predator, you know, is keeps going back to the slaughterhouse because basically it's one long chase scene from the slaughterhouse on, yeah. you know, they the the group Busey's group uh, Keys group, sorry, the actor Gary Busey, you know, has basically said that you know the predator comes back to the slaughterhouse every couple of days to feed, and I love I love it because he makes a note that he says he apparently has a taste for beef. And Danny Glover's is like, well, yeah, well, I didn't fucking figure this guy was a vegetarian. You know, he's ripping out, <laughs> you know, spinal columns and deep gutting people. Yeah. But he wipes everybody out. He wipes everybody out. And we get the, uh, it's a little bit of nostalgia when Danny Glover, he takes everybody out, including Gary Busey's character. 
Well, well, takes him out for a time being before he takes him out fully a few minutes later. But Danny Glover shotguns him with that neat little pistol pump action shotgun that could you know kill a rhinoceros, but it doesn't take out the predator. Right. He wounds him. Somehow figures out like like he just all of a sudden knows which hoses to unclamp and whatever to take off the predator's mask. And he's about to say the infamous line, "You're one ugly motherfucker," but I love it when it cuts to the predator's face. Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like so, the predator literally has one close-up in the entire movie without his mask on, and he says one word, "motherfucker." Love it's great. It's badass. But from oh, I love it too. And then Gary Busey, you know, comes back, tries to take out the the predator still, even though he's halfway burnt up. He, we, he, you know, the predator makes uh, quick work out of him. makes makes an easy meal, well, not an easy meal, but he makes an easy kill out of him. Because, yeah, cause, you know, he and I, I kind of think at this point that if they would have gotten Arnold Schwarzenegger to be in this movie and that character was Dutch, it would have been a sore payoff for you know what I mean for uh, the Dutch character to be off in such a like just an easy way. Oh, I'm so, definitely. So this is the the way that I'm kind of glad that I like it worked out the way that it did, but from here on out it's just a chase. It's just a chase between the predator and Danny Glover, just chasing them up one side of a building, down the side of another, and you know to the underground layer where the ship is hiding, to you know falling down that hole. I mean, like I I also want to know where exactly where this was in L.A. that the Predator had been there for several days and nobody had discovered the ship. I mean, maybe Seriously, it was... it's like in the dead center freaking L.A. I'm like, how did nobody even notice this at all? Like, that's one of those plot holes that I'm like, okay, this is a little weird. Like, maybe if the ship was there, like, a long time, maybe. But it's like he's, like, only been there for a little while. But, uh, yeah, that just, that that struck me as a little bit weird because it's like... You can't fart in L.A. without somebody knowing about it, let alone land an alien ship in, like, a tunnel. You know, that was, <laughs> that was really, really weird to me. If anybody, even a transient's going to notice something's up and investigate. No, absolutely. And, I mean, something would have been figured out. But, yeah, that that slaughterhouse scene, uh, the way the Predator kind of is like, oh, let me switch over to this vision. And then he sees the lights. And then Danny Glover's character is just like, oh, dude, shut off the lights, you know, he sees them, and they're just like, oh, get off this, you know, channel, blah, 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 and the way he just, again, just tears through them, and, you know, when he throws that discus and slices Gary Busey in half, and it's just like, that leading up to, like, the apartment chase with their arm cut off, and... Oh, when we have the Predator starts, like, uh, patching himself up when he's mixing, like, drywall and chunks of the the, the brick into that that glow in the dark goo it didn't I, you feel the pain with the predators doing that because oh, the way he howls like holy shit well and that's something i again i really like about the the predator movies is like you get this like it doesn't seem like a completely unstoppable force but it's just like how crafty and quick he is to like patch himself up and it's like it feels like it's just neck and neck because i mean you know he, the predator is like, I mean, he got his freaking arm chopped off. He's been shot. And then, you know, Mike has gotten the absolute shit beat out of him and choked out by this point. And it's like, yeah, he should have probably have been, next. And it's he just probably like, should have like had a, like a heart attack or a stroke by this point. Seriously. And it's a lot. And it's just like, you know, I, I love seeing that the way the predator patches himself up in, in order to keep rolling and, and keep moving. And it's just like, it kind of, 
that to me is scarier than the thought of like, oh, we just can't kill it. It's like, no, you can injure it, but he's going to figure out a way to fix himself and keep going. So it's just like, it, it, it still makes him feel like somewhat of an unstoppable force. And then one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when, you know, Danny Glover, I mean, uh, you know, Mike Hannigan gets through that, uh, goes through the building after the Predator just ripped through, and he, he spooks the old lady, and she's like, it's Oh, okay. yeah. It's okay, I'm with the police. And she's like, I don't think he gives a shit. And I'm just, <laughs> that that is, I have that written that, down. That cracked me up, because I'm just like, That's my favorite you know, line. That's my favorite so line in the good. entire movie. And, uh, and what was crazy about that that scene with going down the like uh the wall and all that uh i was reading uh, well i was watching the behind the scenes and apparently the stunt guy was on a descender rig and they were like 150 feet up and they had to drop him at speed to slide down that wall and then stop him a few feet from the ground to to get that shot of you know the predator scraping trying to catch himself as he's falling and i'm just like holy shit, like, you know, I don't think OSHA would allow that this day and age. <laughs> oh, no. But it's no. like, it was crazy watching behind the scenes of how they filmed that and how they, like, actually shot that on the side of a building. And I'm like, nowadays, you know, you just, you build the side of a building, like, 10 feet off the ground, and then you green screen it. And they're like, nope, we're going to film this in an actual alleyway 150 feet up. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude, that is nuts. Yeah, and, they, uh, they wouldn't get away with that today. but And that's oh, probably a no. good thing, you know, to, to not risk your actors like that. But when you see what they were able to, to pull off back then, but at, but at, you know, but at what risk? Yeah, for, for real. Because it's like you're watching that and it's like even, even the director in the commentary, he said, you know, because he most recently filmed, uh, he was on 20, God, what was he filming? He, he did some episodes of 24 and a few other things shot in the L.A. area. And uh, hold up. I actually got to look that up. I have it pulled up here on my phone. Yeah, he did the Dark Tower uh, series for TV. He did 24 Legacy. So he's like done some fairly recent stuff, uh, The Fugitive. And it's like he said, filming back then in L.A. as compared to now, he's like, dude, we were getting away with stuff that like, any film crew's not going to get away with now because he's like, just because of the way things have changed so much over the years. And, right. um, yeah, I mean, you totally see that because I'm just like, man, you. they said that was like the most high-risk stunt they had to do. And I'm just like, yeah, you're not kidding. I mean... So it wasn't his first movie, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, his first movie, actually, as director... Or one of his first movies. ...was uh, Dangerous Game. Before that, he was a second unit director on Highlander. But his second actual directing gig was Night Round on Street 5, The Dream Child, which was a year before this. And right after Predator 2, and I feel like Predator 2 kind of earned him this gig, he did uh, Judgment Night. Oh, that's right. I love Judgment Night. Judgment that's, Night is awesome. That's a has... sorely misunderstood movie, man. Oh, I love and, that movie. And the soundtrack is super good. Uh, he did The Ghost in the Darkness. He did uh, Lost in Space. Uh, the with the oh my god that horrendous CGI space monkey. Uh, <laughs> he did yeah. that horror movie in 07, The Reaping, and uh, he's done some like smaller stuff here uh, more recently. Uh, his most recent credits were Seaberg, uh, and um, which I know absolutely nothing about. 
and uh, on he's been doing a lot of TV. Uh, he did the Dark Sour, the Dark Tower series, as well as The Fugitive. And um, you know, he's just he's he's done some stuff, and I didn't realize he had such a wide uh, like spectrum on his resume of stuff he shot because it's like a pretty good range of films there. But um, I mean, stylistically, some similar stuff, and you know, I just. I don't know, man. I just, I feel the movie's super underrated. And I mean, you can hear in our voices how excited we are about yeah. it. Yeah. I think and it's I a love, sequel. I, I think, and it ends on a great note. I yeah. mean, let's just wrap it up. I mean, with the, the, you know, the Predator and Hardigan have their face off, and he uses, you know, the disc against the Predator, he uses one of his own yep. toys to destroy the net which is basically like that big fishing net that has razor wire attached to it, which I just, again, another great little toy and gizmo that I, I love the the Predator's gadgetry. But, you know, he uses it, takes them out, and then what happens within seconds? Another eight or nine Predators just appear out of not, nowhere, and Danny Glover, not to be outdone, is just kind of like, you know, he's he's he, you, he knows he's kind of finished at this point. If they want to take him, they can take him, and he just goes, all right, who's next? Who's next? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I feel like that was the point where I, you're totally right. It's like, okay, one of them could have messed you up bad, but now you got like eight standing here and they kind (laughs) of just like, you know, almost like, and once again, I feel like it's something they kind of pulled from the comics a little bit and and that's the kind of, you know, taking away their, their fallen brother, handing off a gun to him in in respect and being like, you know, beat it, dude. You know, we respect you because you're, you're a better hunter than he and uh and let him go in, in the comics um there was a female character in the avp comics called uh mikiko cannot pronounce her last name but she killed a predator and out of respect the predators actually ended up taking her back to their home planet and trained her like they trained the young predators and taught her to be a hunter to hunt alongside them and that's what i would have loved to have seen at the end of avp but it's like it's kind of that, you know, they realize we're like the apex predator. We're like the head hunter in the galaxy. But if you can take down one of our people, we, you know, show you respect. Right, and right. You won the hunt. Let him go. You won the hunt this time. You know, let it, and let him go. And, you know, after their ship takes off, you know, and he meets up with all the other cops and stuff. And everyone's like, dude, what the hell just happened? Because, I mean, imagine something of this scale actually happening in a city like LA, like everybody under the sun is going to be like, what just happened? Try explaining all this ridiculous stuff. And he, you know, and he's like, you know, they, they almost hint that, you know, this is going to happen again. You know, they'll be back. And we didn't get another sequel until 2009. Was it when predators came out, the Robert Rodriguez film? Like we almost yeah I mean like as an official sequel years. you know what I mean as an official sequel yeah I mean we did yeah. get the the Alien versus Predators which yeah I, I don't consider official I, I I kind of figured them as their own thing but yeah, in, like, we didn't yeah. get a, you know a, a, almost thirty years later before we got an official sequel for sure and and I once like a long time ago just you know kind of messing around on YouTube did watch an official like timeline that explains where all the alien and predator and AVP movies fall in place on a timeline. And it's like, even though the AVP movies are technically Canon, they don't really fit in anywhere super well 
because it's like they don't reference other movies like they do other movies. They reference the alien stuff more so than the Predators. So it's like they don't really fall in that canon, which is so weird. But I feel like they did continue on some of the stories and talk more about it, like, again, in the comic books. And I feel like that's where a lot of media, when it comes to, like, movies, video games, whatever, everything has canon within, like, comic books and books. And the the Alien and Predator franchises both have such an incredible backlog of that stuff, you know, and of stories there that, that can be pulled from. But, yeah, we went a long time without seeing anything after this. And I... I don't know that uh, Predator 2 was really, like, a flop. I don't feel like it did, like, really pour at the box office. Yeah, it may not have done, like, superb, and maybe not would have done as as well as they would have liked it to have done, but I I don't feel like it was uh, a a flop at all, because I remember everybody, you know, at least back in that day, everybody going to to see it. You know, I I remember it it was a big, big movie back then. It was, and according to IMDb, and I guess this would technically consider a flop, yeah, the budget was estimated around $35 million. Opening weekend, it did $8.8 million. Uh, oh. US, and, U.S. and Canada, it did $31 million, and then worldwide, it did $57 million. So, yeah, it did not do great. Yeah, that's a flop it, in studio state. Yeah, it, it opened... Theaters especially. But, again, it opened Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, dropping a movie like that that weekend, it probably wasn't the most, you know, great thing. But it opened at number four, and it closed at number ten. So it never, like, opened really high. But, like, you know, it, it definitely didn't do great. And that that's a shame. And then, once again, I feel like the first movie was so iconic, having Arnold Schwarzenegger there, that I feel like when people saw he wasn't in the sequel, because in, in theory he technically, in quotes, lived... I feel like that upset a lot of people, made people not want to see it. And I feel like that's potentially why it didn't do as well. Yeah, but that might again, have been. again, at face value, I can see how that upsets people because don't get me wrong, I love me some Arnold, but the movie is, is bigger than that. Like, it's not, it should not be, you know, held to that standard of like, oh, well, Arnold's not in it. Well, no, but I mean, you have a great cast, great writing, and it is at the very least, on par with the original. And I feel like the older I get and the more I talk to people, it, much like a lot of other film sequels, people are starting to revisit it and be like, you know what, this movie's actually pretty good. It's It kind of has the Halloween 3 effect, where like when Halloween 3 came out, people were like, fuck this movie, this is horrible, it's the worst sequel <laughs> right. ever. But like now that people are going back and revisiting and watching it for what it is... I think people are liking it more. And uh, I'd say the same with the movie like Nightmare on Elm Street 2. People shit on that movie. But when you go back and watch it for what it is, like, it's a great sequel. It's not, it's by far not the worst in the franchise at oh, all. Oh, with, without with a doubt. Yeah, it's not, not even, even it's not even up for debate, really. <laughs> yeah, so, like, you know, it's, uh, I, I've noticed, and, and I made a post on Facebook today, actually, about us doing this show. And I was surprised by the number of people who actually commented and said it is their favorite in the franchise. And that that definitely surprised me. And I've uh, I tr- I've tried to, you know, introduce a lot of people to Predator 2. I have a very good friend named Kramer who uh, I introduced him to Predator because he had never seen it. And he did not like it. He actually did not love Predator. He was like, you know, it, it's good. But he's like, it just feels like 
a bunch of sweaty buff dudes in the jungle shooting shit, and then an alien shows up. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. You know, it's your typical Yeah, pretty much. And I told him, I was like, but I really think you'd love Predator 2. You should give it a shot. And he still hasn't watched it. And I feel like him not liking Predator has turned him off from watching the sequel, which I get, but it's like... I can understand that. I mean... But I'm like, man, you need to give it a shot, because he loves the Alien movies. Now, his favorite Alien movie, and he'll hate me for saying this, is actually Alien Resurrection. That's my. That's one of my favorites. In one, is it in really? The series. I, I I like it. I like it a lot. I I don't love it though, but it's like, you know, he he, but he enjoys it as a fun movie, and I'm like, man, if you like that, you'll you'll like Predator too, because it, yeah. again, it's a fun. Yeah, I like Alien Resurrection. I, I do. It's 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 to me, it's almost as if watching David Lynch trying to direct a alien franchise film absolutely but yeah it's weird it's it's like it's not my favorite one of the series but i like it a lot oh sure you know and Mm. it's like and again like the 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 alien and predator franchises are both you know long-lasting franchises that i feel like have both had their ups and downs obviously aliens had more sequels and had more going on but it's like you know it's had its fair share of struggles with how i mean uh, when did Alien 3 come out? That was like 1993, 92? Yeah, 92 or 93. Yeah, so like Predator came out, in, or 2 came out in 1990. So those movies came out a couple years apart and were both very heavily butchered by the studio and by the MPAA. Because I know uh, Predator 3, or sorry, uh, Alien 3, what we got was not what David Fincher had originally wanted to release. And there's a director's cut of that, and I know uh, some of the content was cut out of it. And it's like they they both definitely had their uh, their struggles with that with that t- sort of thing, I think. And you know it. And again, like you know, you have phases. Like I feel like horror and sci-fi will always be around, but it, you have phases of what's popular and what's cool. Yeah, is it yeah, the dark sci-fi or is it the kitschy kind of you know funny sci-fi absolutely. that's big at the moment? You know, and that's gonna it ebbs and flows, man. It does, does. and and especially with you know horror and the way things are going with that now, how horror is more drama oriented now, which I personally I am cool with it. I I dig it, but it's like, you know, I uh you know to just to round it all out, I I think all in all, Predator Two is an awesome sequel. It's a worthy follow up to the first. In in my personal opinions and taste, I think it surpasses. Um, and I would love to see the you know, more movies, more comic book style movies like that in the future that are based on more, you know, sci-fi action. And and, and I, I hope that we, we see more uh, installments in the Predator franchise in the future that kind of are continuations, but also in a way standalone on, on their own like that. Because I agree. It's, I agree. It's good stuff. Well, to sum it up, You've already kind of given us your final summary and whatnot, yes. but we usually do a, a rating on a scale from one to ten. So if you just want to sum up in a couple of quick sentences your full thoughts on the movie and that that one being the worst and ten being the best. So for me, I think, okay, so for me, Predator 2 definitely lands at, I'd say, as probably at, I'd say, 7.5 or an 8, somewhere in that area. Uh, and I, again, and I'd say Predator, I'd put it at like a seven or a 7.5 cause they're, they're pretty close. I, I like Predator too, just a smidge more. And I think, you know, just, just in to kind of summarize, 
Uh, I I think it's a it's a great sequel that it expands on what has been created already, and it it deepens the lore and takes it a step further, which is something I've always been a sucker for. You know, I like your your uh, your introductory movies and things like that, but I tend to like sequels that that build upon what's been made and push it a step further. So it it just hit all the right notes for me personally. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm coming in. This is the rating I had written at the top of my notes. I've given it an even 8 out of 10, which is uh, just slightly lower than where I give the original. I give the original an 8.5. So I'm I'm not that far off from you, just a half a star in the other direction. Uh, I I love it. I love the characters. I I think uh, Danny Glover gets a bad rap as an action star. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is he the same ilk as... Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Jean-Claude Van Damme. No, he, he's just not that kind of physique-built kind of guy. But he, he carries the film really well. He brings a likability and a vulnerability to him. Uh, just the fact that he, he hates heights, I can identify with that. He gives you something to identify with. I love the supporting cast. Uh, and I think the action is filmed really well. I mean, it's you know an 80s action movie set in 1990 turned up to 11. It's, yeah. it's really, really good. There's never really a dull moment. There's just moments where you're given an opportunity to catch your breath just to get ready for the next, you know, wave of uh, action. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I give it an 8 out of 10. I, I was very happy re- re- uh, revisiting it this time. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with all that. You know, I, I definitely think Danny Glover gets a bad rap just because he's not some ripped, buff, witty dude doesn't mean he's not a relatable action hero that you you know, yeah, I, I get you, dude. I'm right there with you on it. And uh, definitely uh, deserves more credit than what he gets. Great. Yes, without a doubt. Well, that being said, we'll wrap this up for the day. Um, you want to go ahead and plug anything that you got coming out or anything that you've worked on here recently? I mean, oh. I know I know you got a couple of things you're getting ready to work on and a couple of things you just finished as well. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. I, oh, my goodness. So much stuff. So, first off, I would like to plug... Uh, just finished uh, special effects on a movie called They See You. It's a uh, Jonestown Films and Studio 605 joint production directed by Tori Jones. Uh, it's a coming-of-age uh, horror slasher film. Uh, think I would say think Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight meets The Goonies, which is one hell of a mix if you ask me. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. I'm all down oh, for that. Right. Oh, yeah. If, if you dig those movies, and you, you're going to love it. Um currently filming a Christmas horror film called He Knows, um, which I can't give too much away on the plot details of that because obviously we're still working on it, but it's a, it's a, it's a fun Christmas slasher. Uh, we, You and I were just both on set for uh, Cruel Summer. Again, yeah. 80s-style yes. slasher film, good throwback. I think people will really enjoy uh, lots of fun twists and turns in that one as well. Uh, coming up, you and I are going to be on set for a... Uh, I would, I would definitely call it a Lovecraftian-style horror film called Parallels. Definitely yes, I've been like excited that for that stuff. one. Uh, Going to be shooting that. Um, a kind of a politically driven horror film called Eat the Rich. Uh, finishing up, he knows it soon as well. And I have a few more in the pipeline that I can't talk a whole lot about. But uh, for those of you who have me on Facebook, I'm sure you'll see. Or you can always follow uh, my special effects company, Icarus Effects Studios, on uh, Instagram. I'm constantly posting stuff on there. Um, and that's probably the best way to stay up to date with all the projects that I have going on and seeing all the 
fun, gross and gory stuff that I'm involved with. So uh, I can't wait to share it all with, uh, with you and with everyone else. It's going to be good stuff. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. If you need anybody to make you a bunch of red, goopy, nasty, gory stuff, this is your guy, folks. This is the guy you go to. I've seen it. I've seen it in in action up close (laughs) and personal because this man has essentially been the guy who's killed me on at least one film. Just one. I won't say which one, but uh, (laughs) at least one film. Yeah, man. We messed you up real good. And I I hope to have the opportunity to do that a bunch more in the future. (laughs) Yeah. I've been told I die well. I've been told I die so well. It's a talent. It's a talent. The the real talent is in the resurrection later on, but I won't give away the secrets for that. (laughs) You leave that with us. Right, right. Well, with that being said, man, it, it was a pleasure having you on, Derek. It, uh, I've been wanting to get you on ever since we, you know, met on set for Cool Summer, and uh, we had talked about doing the show when I was actually just in the plans of doing this particular one. I've had a few other ones that have run a little longer, <clears throat> but this is a, a new venture because I just thought, man, I love sequels so much, and everybody else... You know, at least I'm, I'm. What I'm finding out is everybody seems to love these sequels almost as much as I do, even the bad ones. Because we've done, we've covered a, <laughs> we've covered a real bad one so far. Yeah. So maybe uh, the uh, maybe the next movie we do together and we review together, we'll have to pick a, a sequel that we maybe don't have the love for. Oh, I am all about that. Let's tear something <laughs> apart. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, <laughs> I have almost as much fun talking about the movies that I love that I, as I do the ones that I don't love. Because <laughs> sometimes those are just fun. Yeah. Well, that being said, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know you're a busy guy and got a lot going on, so thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to do my silly little show. I appreciate hey, it. Anytime, and thank you for having me on. It was a it was a ton of fun, and I cannot wait to do it again. Right on, right on. Well, it was a pleasure having you. Alrighty, folks, thank you once again for tuning in and listening to Cinema Degenerations Sequel 2 Deja Vu. We have been reviewing and dissecting 1990s Predator 2, and thank you for listening. <laughs>